You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. When I worked for George Voinovich in the governor's office in the Senate, if he didn't say it once, he said it a million times. If you do a good job with the job you have, the future will take care of itself. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most powerful women in the Central Ohio business community. I'm your host, Eleanor Kennedy, and on today's episode, we're chatting with Laura DeLeon, KeyBank's new Central Ohio market president. She comes to the role from a non-traditional background, having worked her way up on the lobbying and government regulation side of the business, rather than a traditional commercial banking path. Well, very interesting career path, and I, I get asked about this quite often from younger women when I talk with. So, graduated college from Wittenberg. And the economy wasn't good at that time. And then talking with my parents, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go on to graduate school, right? So I went to Miami University and I got a master's degree really in their communications department. It was kind of a poli-sci communications mix. Really interesting. I love my time there. I had great professors. And right out of school, I thought, you know what, I'm moving to Columbus. I'm just going to, you know, have some fun and work in the Ohio House of Representatives for Mm -hmm. a little while. I did that, which led me to the governor's office. I was there for a few years. And then I went to the United States Senate Mm -hmm. as well. Uh In between, I worked in the state treasurer's office. I worked for George Voinovich the last two or three years of his administration as governor. And then I went back to work for him in the U.S. Senate. And a friend of mine um, whom I worked with in the governor's office was representing Key as a lawyer and a lobbyist. And she said, I have a client that's looking to hire someone and uh, they need some help with their state accounts. Mm -hmm. We were actually at a Columbus Blue Jackets game. Mm -hmm. You know, we were young and single and probably drinking beer (laughs) and having fun. And I thought she had surely lost her mind. You know, what what did I know about banking? They Uh wouldn't have any interest in me. And uh, sure enough, I said, well, I'll meet with them. What could that hurt, Uh right? I'll meet with them. So here I am 19 wow. years later. Wow. So um, I initially was hired to cover the state of Ohio account and some of our smaller municipalities and really grew that account, have great relationships there. And then they wanted me to kind of reproduce that in other states. Mm-hmm. You know, So I now manage in our public sector group, I manage all that we do from Illinois East, our large state relationships. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of 
government banking. We issue bonds. We invest their money. We do their day-to-day wires, ACH, you know, all those types of things. We did securities lending for the state back in the day. So there's a plethora of products that we offer. Most people don't realize that, you know, when you write out your tax checks Mm -hmm. and all that, it it goes to a bank Mm -hmm. um, who processes all that. So that's big business. It's fun business. I'm in a lot of state capitals. Albany, uh, New York is where I spend a lot of time as well. That's a very large client for us. So I'm I'm in Albany and other state capitals. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. Laura's interest in communications, which led her to the world of politics and ultimately to lobbying for the bank, actually started as a fascination with journalism. My mom still talks about this to this day. I was a peculiar child to her in the sense that I loved to read the newspaper Mm -hmm. when I was young, always interested in current events. And I have two older brothers and a sister. And she just thought it was so funny that as a young child, I look for the newspaper Mm -hmm. every day and read it. And I just enjoyed current events. And I thought that that was a way to, you know, feed my interest. Mm -hmm. And then I I went to Wittenberg. So I thought this is what I'm going to start out in in college. And um, I had a fabulous teacher, I'm a Jean. Bowles was her name, Imogene. And she was just wonderful. But for some reason, it just didn't stick with me. Mm-hmm. My junior year, I did an internship at Boston University in London. And I worked at a PR and a marketing firm. And I thought, this is kind of much more, you know, what I want to do. And I was able to incorporate some of the writing, mm-hmm. which I still enjoy, and uh, go that direction. Laura never would have thought she'd wind up in the role she's in today. But even as her career path has wound in unexpected ways, she has a ready answer when asked what one piece of advice has guided her along it. I'm glad you asked that (laughs) because I really, I believe in it. And to, you know, harken back to, I I can't say that I'm the one who coined this phrase, but when I worked for George Voinovich in the governor's office in the Senate, if he didn't say it once, he said it a million times. If you do a good job with the job you have, the future will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And I wholeheartedly believe in that. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. really believe in that because people notice when you do a good job and people like to think outside of the box. You know, I've seen this person, I've interacted with her and, you know, I feel like she would be good at this. You know, I still look back and I think, why did Key want to hire someone from the U.S. Senate. You know, it wasn't easily transferable. Mm-hmm. There weren't other people who came from government um, who worked at a bank, but they rolled the dice on me. They they saw something and they, they probably got, you know, a good referral. And I just think if people really put their heart and soul into it and do a good job with whatever job they have in the moment, they're going to have opportunities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Opportunities they never thought of. I was going to say, I'm sure that 20 years ago, you didn't think that this is where you'd be. Never, never. Going back to sitting in college, if one of my friends would have said, oh, someday you're going to be a market president of a bank. (laughs) Never. I would have never thought that. As nonlinear career paths become more common, Laura's advice hits home more than ever. I read an interesting statistic last year, and it said, folks, my age, my group, you know, we maybe had six or seven jobs throughout our lifetime. But the 20-somethings, they're going to have 24, 25 mm-hmm. jobs, right? Yeah. They're just so much more mobile for a plethora of reasons. Mm-hmm. That was uh, when I was an intern. I uh, wrote a story about how job hop, about millennial job hopping, which that was 2009. So it was probably one of the like early stories about millennial job hopping. And yeah. now that's just assumed. And yeah, I don't know if these, uh, mm-hmm. I 
anecdotally, I feel like reporters I worked with who were younger than me left mm-hmm. faster than even, you know, people my age had left just sort of, you know, coursing through opportunity. Yeah. I've been, I've now been with this company for like seven years. So yeah. I'm a you're a lifer at this yeah, point. <laughs> yeah, I'm an, I'm an yeah. outlier, I suppose. But, but um, that's not going to change, do you think? With the job hopping? No. No, and I've seen peers who, in some of these large companies, they essentially, you know, accommodate them job hopping within the company. Like, I've talked about this before on the podcast. My friend who yeah. works for Exxon, they very intentionally, like, every year, like, now you have a new role because this is yeah. kind of our best way for us to get the most out of you and you to feel... And they keep the like same jersey on. But you're yeah. changing, you know, so mm-hmm. we're still recouping our investment, but you're able to feel like you're doing something different, advancing your career smart. and whatnot. Yeah, so. smart. As Laura ascends to Keeve's top local position, she remains more than willing to pass along her knowledge to the next generation. But I will tell you, in the last several years, I have been approached so many times by either people that I grew up with, in Lima, you know, their daughters are moving here. Just so many people have reached out and said, hey, I'm really interested in what you do, you know, in your government work, in your finance work. Can I share, you know, I've had Ohio State students shadow me for a day. And to this day, I see them and I hear from them and and they just, you know, they, they love that time to actually walk around the state house or whatever I had them do with me that day. I haven't really done it formally, but I sure have spent a lot of time Mentoring young men as well, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, lo- lobbying. Technically, I'm a registered lobbyist for the bank. I don't work on our legislation mm-hmm. or PAC or anything like that. But it's just such a hot profession mm-hmm. in the last. People really want to know how to how to break into, you know, the government space uh, and how I combine the government work that I do with the finance and, um, you know, the pain. How did I how did I mix that and find that? I think, you know, the the political climate that we've had the last several years, Uh you know, I think people, it's kind of become in vogue to be interested in politics and follow it. I mean, think about it. As I started this interview by saying, you know, my mother just thought it was so cute that I read the newspaper, you know what I mean? And I was interested and I was an anomaly. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember trying to sit around with my college friends and talk about this or, oh, why are you watching, you know, the Democratic or the Republican convention on TV. That's so boring. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But you know what? It just wasn't, it wasn't something. And I just think these younger people are really interested mm-hmm. and interested in being involved and interested in figuring out a way that they can, you know, have a voice in it all. Mm-hmm. Laura joins a crew of female market presidents at financial institutions in central Ohio. It's one area where the market is a bit of an outlier as her experience shows the industry remains largely male-dominated. Well, and this is, I feel like this is such a hard question to answer, but mm-hmm. when you are in a room that you're the only woman in a room, are you are you conscious of that, I guess, and sort of how do you approach settings like that? I love that question. Uh-huh. I think that's a great question because I often am. Uh-huh. I often am. I, I will admit to you, it's not my first thought, mm-hmm. but when it does dawn on me in a meeting, I'm pleased with myself mm-hmm. that I was able to be there. Yeah. Especially when I think about the days walking around Washington, D.C. and looking at other Senate offices, I would say it was pretty male dominated, mm-hmm. you know, still at that time. 
then Senator DeWine, right? He always, you got to give a shout out to him because he really always did. He was one of the leaders in having, you know, female chief of staff and a lot of females at the top. Uh And obviously we worked with them, but the senators, the congressmen themselves, if you still look at the breakup, you know, still male dominated. You know, I would say there are a lot of men, but I would say that there have always been a lot of women. Mm. You know, women are running great campaigns these days mm-hmm. and, and lobbying and, you know, they're representing corporations and independent firms. So I see a lot. I, I've never said that I've been treated any differently, but, you know, I think more and more, especially in finance, we're going to see more women in this next generation coming up. You know, mm-hmm. I have five nieces in their 20s and their 30s. Three of them are in finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have happened when I was young. I see so many of our young analysts that are coming out. They're women, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing well. And they are respected for the work they do. And they're respected and completely looked at as equals by their counterparts. This younger generation really, really does have that right from what I've Mm -hmm. seen. So I do believe going forward, we're going to see a lot more women in finance. Uh, Well, I think there's such that, you know, there's been that focus for a while now and that math Mm -hmm. side of it does Mm-hmm. lend itself to, to going into I know some of mm-hmm. us, some of us who stuck with the humanities are like they're mm-hmm. still important right <laughs> they are they and are. I understand yeah. uh, it's a little more yeah. uh, higher earning potential if you go towards the, uh, the other side Lara's new position as Columbus market president will expose her to new areas of the banking industry but she's excited to draw on her experience in government and work with colleagues to do the job well Because I still, you know, deep down, I still consider myself a government person, Uh right? That's where I came from. I love it. And I've also, I've always considered myself kind of an in-between person between banking and government. I understand what government needs and I understand what banking has to offer. You know, this new commercial Uh bank, that's new to me, right? That's new to me. And I was very clear about that with all the people that I interviewed with for this Mm -hmm. job. They knew it. You know, Mm -hmm. it was all people that I had worked with for so many years. So thankfully, if you read, they also hired Brian Emerling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for him. And he's going to do just a fabulous job. I hope you meet him one day as well. He's a natural born leader. He knows this area and he's going to teach me. Mm -hmm. Um, So he and I are working very closely together. But I think what I was hired for is, you know, not necessarily the nuts and bolts of the commercial bank, which I'll learn, but the collaboration part. Mm-hmm. Because I come from the capital markets side of the bank. I'm the first market president that Key has right now that has come from the capital market side of the bank. So they're looking for me to collaborate, you know, internally with two sides of the bank. Yeah. You know, we have the community bank side and then we have the capital market side. Mm-hmm. As with all industries, the world of banking has been rocked by the COVID-19 pandemic. In her role working with governments, Lara was largely exposed to the stressors on the unemployment compensation systems and the proliferation of fraud. I will tell you from the government perspective, from the pandemic, what has occupied most of my time. One thing that we do is for eight states across the country, we manage their unemployment program. Mm. So, you know, I watch my counterparts on the community bank deal with the, you know, PPP issues. But with my clients, Uh it was 
these large states sending out fraudulent wires. Yeah, you know, yeah. would you remember in April that mad rush to buy the ventilators, to buy those? These states had to buy that. Uh-huh. And as their bank, we had to send their wires out. So we worked very closely with them to make sure that those wires were going to a legit place. A lot of times they weren't, right? Yeah. So good thing we ran our check. Not to mention all the fraud issues that we've seen with government. I keep saying... Eventually, there has to come some federal legislation dealing around the fraud group. And I mm-hmm. work closely with our government relations team on that. But dealing with all this fraud that these states saw and the money that they lost and the money that the banks lost yeah, and the money that the individual pays lost. I mean, there were so many issues with people who didn't file for unemployment, but their mm-hmm. identities were stolen. It's it's been a lot. That's what we had several people here who sure. got contacted that, you know, somebody had filed a claim in yeah. their name. So what what can be done about that? <laughs> well, I always turned my head to our government relations group to say, you know, something for, you know, first of all, you have to bring the awareness to uh-huh. them, right? And I would say that the members of Congress that our group have talked with, they've heard from enough of their constituents, right? I mean, they, they've heard what some of these issues are. So... I don't know. I mean, um, applicant identification is a big one. I mean, that's just a really big one. You know, we would see one, 200 applications apply from the same social security number or something like that. I mean, the fraud was just brazen. Mm -hmm. It was brazen. And so, you know, I don't know you know, if it's around the identification issue, if it's around the payment issue, I would think that there's going to be a number of things that will help guide states and consumers and, and banks. Yeah. Um, you, got, you got to get these payments out somehow. And no one wants to go back to a state issuing them a check and having them, mm-hmm. you know, that's well, not what consumers want. The, you know, something DeWine talked about so much when there was such a hold up here right. in April was just logistically we had this system that was not built for this influx of claims and there was just like li- like physically could not handle it well you know? and he was spot on with that mm-hmm. I mean just spot on you know I watched those every day as well and Every state, it's funny because leading up to the pandemic, one of the biggest conversations we had with our states is, where are you in getting in a new system? Some of these systems have been in from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's not cheap. And it's not an easy sell for a governor or a politician or someone well, especially to say, in the unemployment well, rate's 4% or something. We're spending like. 40, 50, 60 million dollars on a new system that kind of doesn't get you... You know, people like to see a tangible change. But, you know, one of our clients said it best is they were really running an entitlement program through a benefits system. Mm -hmm. And these systems just were not built for that stress. And it, it, it is a shame, but it certainly did spotlight that. And and Ohio, it was every state. Every state was like that. Everyone. And then you talk about, you know, in the states, they, they're they understaffed, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. No one was expecting that. So you have these state employees that um, just worked so many hours and had so much responsibility on their shoulders. It was, it was a stressful time. What is Key focused on right now, kind of hopefully coming out of the pandemic? Um, what opportunities did some of those relief programs present or what would you still like to see maybe from 
you know, a, a government relationship or, or working? Right. Well, I think as far as Key's focus right now, it's on our human capital, mm-hmm. right? You know, getting all of our employees safely back to work. And, you know, it just kind of feels like a stop and a start right, right. now, yeah. doesn't it? So just as, you know, we had half of our employees working through the pandemic, you know, in the branches. I mean, those people you know, still went. People yeah. had issues. So I'd say that that's probably a number one priority right now is working on our human capital. Every other company you're talking with right now, you know, we're doing a lot of surveys. Mm-hmm. We've seen that over the last year. Everything's been turned on its head. You know, one thing we were talking about last week, you know, the copy machines, people are printing less, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's just so many little one-offs from that. But, you know, we're working very hard at, at retaining our human capital, whether that's, you know, increasing their pay at the onset or, you know, if you want to talk about mid-year bonuses or is it more important for them to, you know, have flexible hours? You know, there's there's a lot that's going in there. And I think that our senior management is doing a great job of hearing what people want, mm-hmm. you know, do they feel safe coming back to the office? Did they feel they did their job? We look at their productivity. I think, you know, overall... Our executives are very pleased with how we perform. Yeah. Okay. Another shifting gears somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, another conversation of the past year, uh, so much was the equity conversation. Mm-hmm. So I want to start externally. What are you doing and what are you excited about doing in your role to sort of improve access to capital for minority communities? Um, right. You know, some of those topics that became such talkers. Yeah, absolutely. Year. And I, and I will say Key's I feel has always been ahead of the curve on this, Uh right? Back in 2017, we acquired some banks out of these called First Niagara. And at that point, we had made a commitment, I don't know, of maybe $17 billion across our footprint to invest in, you know, lot low to moderate income housing and jobs and lending, helping small businesses, minority-owned businesses, and then just also giving to philanthropy, you know, as we see across our footprint. And we had made that commitment, I think, at the time for 10 years, Mm -hmm. but we had already spent everything within three. Uh So we increased that from 17 billion, I think we're up to 40 billion now. And we're, you know, a good five, six years into that into our planning. So, you know, we've seen a lot of progress in that, been well-received, obviously, in the community with what we're doing. And we just felt at the time it was the right thing to do. You know, Mm -hmm. when you you go into other markets and you see, we have a CEO, too, that has worked with Key for a long time. He's been there about a year, Chris Gorman. And, you know, this has always been a passion of his. He's been on our foundation. He really believes in getting into the schools. Mm-hmm. And, and helping, you know, lower income children, you know, through schools um, at a young age and, and really working with them and seeing if he can make a difference mm-hmm. in some of the inner cities and things like that. As our interview drew to a close, Laura talked a bit about how her professional advice to young women extends to her own relationship with her daughter. So first of all, I have a 17-year-old daughter, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So um, obviously she's my little personal um, <laughs> mentee and and she couldn't be more proud of me as is my son and my husband. I, what does your daughter want to do? That's a great question. I would say she's interested in 
government and uh-huh. politics. You know, she's certainly aware of that. Next summer, I think she's going to go to the FBI teen camp. Oh, Isn't fun. that fun? She uh-huh. wanted to do it this year, but it um, with COVID, they weren't uh-huh. really around. Right now, she's really into her golf. I brought her to the Solheim Cup this uh-huh. past weekend. Do you know what that is? No. That's the ladies' golf tournament. It was up in Toledo. Oh, okay. Um, it's where Team USA plays Team Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we had so much fun watching that. And it was just a really strong women's event, event for her to see these 25, 26-year-old professional athlete women Mm -hmm. who work together as a team and who are fun. You know, she kept saying she'd been to the memorial tournaments around here, and she kept saying, women are so much fun. (laughs) These women, you know, this is a fun tournament. They're so much fun. So um, she enjoys that. So she, you know, I encourage her to do whatever she wants. Uh That's what my husband and I always tell them. You know, do do what you love and what you're interested in, and it won't be work, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting what she does. Yeah. Are you a golfer? I am. Okay. I grew up a golfer. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I saw my dad going out with my brothers and I thought, well, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Why do they get the time with him? So I've always loved golf. I played a lot of golf and golf helped me with my career. There's no doubt about that it. That is definitely a skill to have. There, there is no doubt about it. Type of, type in. Yeah. So, so I always say when um, I see our friends going out with their sons, I always say, don't forget your daughter. Yeah. Bring your daughter along that's, too. That's good advice for yeah. parenting. Yeah. yeah. Parents who are listening. And it is. And in and, and my alone time I had playing golf with my father was one of the greatest gifts I had in life. Mm. Right. It's emotional for me. Right. And so I just think it's a fabulous sport for mothers and daughters, mothers and sons. I love playing mm. with my son, but really a lot of times fathers and daughters don't have a lot to talk about. And it was just it cemented my relationship yeah. with my father. Well, terrific. Yeah. Well, I think that's a cool, cool little note to end on, Lyle. So thank you so much thank for, you for your time. Making some time. We got great, great takeaways for all generations listening. Yeah. And congratulations on the new role. Thank you. Um, I am excited. Awesome. I am excited. And a special thanks to you, our listeners. For new episodes of Women of Influence, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and you've been listening to Women of Influence.